You're listening to a Guardian Live event. The Guardian has always been a community of readers, journalists, and contributors, and now our live events are bringing that community even closer. The Guardian event is the Guardian at its best, which is a two-way conversation involving the reader and having a real, genuine, thriving debate. Could be anything from food and culture, arts to politics, to foreign affairs. Guardian members can attend from the very serious to the quite frivolous. Support The Guardian's independent journalism and join the debates on the big issues of our time. To see what events are coming up and to check out the benefits of membership, go to members.theguardian.com. The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Book Club. I'm Claire Armitstead, books editor of The Guardian and Observer. This month's guest is Karl Ove Knausgaard, whose six-volume autobiographical novel My Struggle is travelling by slow boat into English, or so it seems to the many thousands of fans who have followed him avidly from early childhood through sexually frustrated teens. The fifth volume of this tremendous, maddening, addictive autobiographical epic, Some Rain Must Fall, has just arrived. It runs to nearly 700 pages and covers 14 years of his life, starting in his late teens, about which he disarmingly says he remembers surprisingly little. Since they were first published in his native Norway, the novels, if indeed they are novels, have gone on to win an international acclaim that their author has not always welcomed. Host John Mullen began this Guardian Live event by asking if he got any satisfaction from being praised. Yes, I do. Yes. Yeah, I do. But it's, 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 it's just like um, the image or the picture you get back from your work isn't matching my own view of it at all, you know? That's the hard part, you know? But you must, um, you must want, want readers, even academics, to relish and be absorbed by what you write. And as, as your alter ego says in the book, there are a lot of mediocre novelists there are a lot of novelists so by definition a lot of them must be mediocre so isn't there any satisfaction in having people telling you you're not one of them yeah but you know what i'm experiencing now with these books is you know is the, the dream for a novelist that that people when people talk about the books they don't really talk about the books anymore but their own lives you know and, yes. and that that kind of attention is, that's, you know, that's the best thing for, for a writer. Uh, but it's hard to understand, for me, why, why that is. I mean, because for me, this project was the opposite. It was very private, very yes. intimate, very, you know, very much about me. And I thought, this has no general interest at all. And when it gets that, I can't really understand why. And I can't, I just try to deny it and don't deal with it and, and don't think about it. Well, that, that thing you said about people responding by, in some ways, thinking it might be a book about their lives as well as about yours, I mean, leads me really to where I wanted to start, really, which was, this is my, my rather dry academic version of that response, which is quite soon after I started the first volume, I started thinking purely theoretically how could I do a, a novel like this about my life? Not, I'm not going to do one. I have, no, I have no, absolutely no creative talent at all. I'm, and I, I, I found that out a long time ago and I'm reconciled to it. But, but, um, 
because that was my way of thinking, how does, does one do a novel like this? And I suppose one, one very, to make it a much sort of simpler question, it's a version of thinking how much of this can be remembered and how much of it must be imagined, invented. And I guess that's a question that you've been asked before, but I suppose I don't know what the answer is, though I would quite like to ask it. The, there's such detailed and minute description of particular circumstantial details, yeah. particular episodes. Did you, as it were, have a, a sort of chain of events for this second volume, A Man in Love, that you were going to follow and then, as it were, just sort of extrapolated, imagined the details to go with it or, or what? No. And the thing with this book is that there's hardly no narration, there's hardly no plotline, there's hardly no story at all, you know. And it is kind of experimental in that <laughs> way because, because how, how, how little, you know, uh, story can you have and still read it, you know. Yes. In a diary can, you can read immensely much without a story. Uh, and you can read about very boring things. I mean, before this project, I, I read a lot of diaries, and I was uh, amazed by that. There's a Swedish um, uh, playwright called Lars Norén. He wrote a thousand pages uh, diary and published it. And it's like it's 50 pages about gardening, mm -hmm. and it is no about nothing. But you still you want to read yes. more. What's that? Why? Why? How come? You know? Yes. Is it possible to, to do that in a novel? Is it possible to tell a novel without a story and still have the drive in it? You know, like a narrative drive without the narration. That was that's that book, right? The second book, and I didn't plan anything. So it's it's um, a right, uh, you know, a scene, like in the beginning of the book, me and my wife uh, with children, uh, we are stuck in an industrial area looking for a place to eat, start to argue. You know, that's the, that's the starting point. And I don't know anything about what's going to come. Right. And, and then it's the next, time that co next thing that comes to mind, I write. So I don't know anything. So it's a pure, in intuitive thing, you know. So there is, is um, um, yeah, it's... Um, and I didn't even plan that. That also just happened. You know? ah. um, but that was always the start. That we, I mean, that episode, which to, to anybody with children has a ghastly familiarity, actually. Not that I have... <laughs> is it in Malmo? Is it in... Mal I can't remember where it is. It's, yeah, it's it in, is in Sweden. It's least, in Sweden, yeah. you know. But I mean... I, I've had that experience in Basingstoke, as it were, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and the strange thing, when, when I wrote it, for me, it was like a tragedy, you know. It yeah. is a tragic situation. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought of it as a, as a tragedy when I wrote it, you know. But then I, I get, I never read what I have been writing before. But then I got a Swedish translation, and I just checked and read, you know, the first couple of pages, and I realized, no, it's a comedy, you know. <laughs> it is. And, and... I, I mean, before we lose it, I'm really interested about the idea of that you, you've thought about how you would do it, you thought about doing it after reading diaries, because one of the, because in some ways, it, 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 to me, it's a, it, it's a sort of anti-novel, because it includes lots of things novels don't usually bother with. 
yeah. because they don't have enough meaning. Yeah, that's right. You know, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and actually, funnily enough, the diary I was thinking of, because I've probably read fewer diaries than you, but, but one of my favorite diaries is Pepys's diary. And he has the same thing that you managed to get off. You sort of don't know what is important and what is not. So there is a lot, for instance, which there is in your novel about, um, about food and eating. And yeah. I had four potatoes. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what I was looking for um, was presence, you know. That was the most important thing, presence in a situation, much more than, than uh, narration. And, and to do that, I, I, I kind of described it in details. And it was like I wanted to, to it's like the world was kind of disappearing for me. Uh, yes. Uh, the world around me. And I was, you know, kind of almost living a life in images and, uh, you know, visual things. And I was not present. And I wanted this book to be about being present, you know. So there's no arc going over. It's, it's like it's mm. here and now. And that's the structure throughout the whole book. I mean, when I'm 16, it's here and now. And when I'm 32, it's here and now, like in that book. But, um, but when you do that, when you have that opening uh, episode in A Man in Love, um, you, you probably have a very good memory. But you must have to having decided, remembered that episode, you must then have to yeah. funnel in things which are completely invented. Because, I mean, you yeah, know, of course, yeah, all the small, yes. some of the small details are invented. But the, the room is, uh, is how I remember it, and, yeah. and the situation is how I remember it. And there's nothing in that book I kind of remembered before I started to write. Yeah. So it's, it's like it comes through the writing. And uh, especially in the book about childhood, you know, I didn't have almost any real memories from my childhood. Right. I have like 10 or 15 or something. But if you start to write, it's like you, you know, one memory generates another and, and it's like, a, you're, like you're opening up. So you do find, you did as you were writing, find yourself not just inventing but remembering more yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and in book three, the, the childhood book is very physical. The key to remembering was through describing a physical world and the body and the bodily world, because that's the child's world, you know. And, yeah. and it's kind of, you know, it's like I have. That's my experience that that all the ages are still present, but they are not. You know, I don't have access to them normally. But through writing, you can get access to them, as you can through reading. You can get access to them, and maybe you know, in psychoanalysis, you can also do that. But it is a process, and it takes time and. But it is, um, it is amazing. I know I have forgotten it, <laughs> but it's, it's yes. there, and it's, it, it's the process that, that made it there. Because it's, 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 it's a real paradox, because you're, you're the volume five, uh, the, which, for, which has only just appeared um, in English, um, you know, begins <clears throat> with a sort of paragraph about, a long paragraph about not being able to remember things yeah. about... Yeah. <laughs> That's how it is. Yeah. yeah. And there's something also, I mean, but perhaps there's also, if you, this is my little, this is my little sort of academic flourish after which I'll, I won't try this anymore, but the, I'm very interested in 18th century novels. And funnily enough, although I suspect my, my, my colleagues are even, almost even now, teaching Nausgaard as postmodern fiction or perhaps post-postmodern fiction, 
The other thing it reminds me of a little bit is um, the very earliest novels, Daniel Defoe or something like that. The, the circumstantial, the importance of circumstantial detail. There's a, there's a, a bit where um, Thomas de Quincey, the opium man, says about a, some Daniel Defoe novel. He tells us that he turned left past the shop which belonged to a hosier who came from Worcester. And we ask ourselves, why on earth is he telling us this? And the, we think the only answer could be because it's true, you know. And there, I have, there's that feeling, you know, <laughs> there's a bit where Gria, your friend, is talking. And, yeah. and, and as he's talking, the narrator says, I picked up three potatoes and put them on my plate. And that makes everything else in the episode seem true. <laughs> yeah. But the... the, the <laughs> okay, that's... <laughs> the, 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 um, the starting place, you say, you, it just sort of found you. But it does have the starting place, um, starting episode in A Man in Love. It does have an important narrative effect, even if it didn't have a narrative purpose, which is, of course, that a lot of the novel is about meeting Linda, falling in love, thinking about having children. And all that happens after we have seen you in Basingstoke Malmo. Yeah. <laughs> so that does, you must have known as you wrote, wrote that choosing that opening episode was going to sort of colour what came afterwards. Yeah, that, yeah, what I knew was that was the subject I wanted to explore in a way, you know. But I had no idea what would follow, not at all. But this um, thing started out with a little... Um, tried to write about something very specific, a very specific experience, which was my, my father's death. Uh, which I couldn't write about this fiction. It didn't work and I didn't believe in it. Um, and somehow I, tr I started to write and it took me four years with hard work, uh, understanding that it did, it, fiction didn't work. And then I started to write much more confessional mm -hmm. and that didn't work either. But then I, I, I kind of had this diary idea and this presence of of a, of a, of a, you know of a self and that should be it and dramatize that uh, and I, I started by accident writing about details and there was a little episode about being 16 and so on and so on and then all of a sudden it was a novel leading into my father's death and then I just continued because I had a language for everyday life and a language for the things in between, the things that doesn't point in any direction but just is, you know, that's presence again. And uh, I wrote this book as a second part of that book. And then I was finished, then I was done, then I had 1200 pages and that was the novel. And that was death and love and a very simple structure, trying to see that, you know, sea of, of, of details and everyday life. Um, which is my life, where I felt it's meaningless. Somehow I couldn't find meaning in it. But I remember when my father died, it was kind of 
was so much meaning there in so little space. It was very intense and very strange. And I always wanted to write about that. And it's the same falling in love with the same intensity. And so that's the basic structure. That's my, own, my all, only thinking in the book. The rest is just intuition and, and try to you know, follow the impulses. And, uh, yeah. and I mean, the, the, you're talking about that being the only structure in the, in the first book in the series, A Death in the Family, as it's called in, in English. Um, there, there are two sections in, in, in the novel. Yeah. And there is a, a break. And, and to, to the first-time reader, the break seems quite a significant moment. And it's quite soon after um, the, the recollection of finding out that your mother and father were going to separate. Um, in, the, in the second volume, and I think the others as well, um, there, are, there are no section breaks at all. And so your experience of, you say, not knowing where you were going, you make that the reader's experience as well, in a way. And that must be, I mean, were you tempted ever to sort of have chapters or, um, or, or to break up, to fragment the narrative so that a reader had signposts and stopping places and... No, I wanted exactly the opposite. I wanted the flow, you know, like, like, like something is just moving, you know, and, and, it, and it can go there and it can go there and, 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 and it's, like, it's like it's floating. And, and a style like that, I had a, kind of an image of that and I've had that for many, many years. So in, in my first novel, which is a very realistic novel and it's a very strong narrative, uh, then I kind of had... had uh, um, expansion to the side like anecdotes mm -hmm. and I thought how, how far can you go before that that's a new story and you lose track of the first yes. one you know and I, I, I could 30 pages if the, if the story is strong enough yes maybe maybe even 40 but that's it you know and in this book I wanted to have no I wanted only have you know digressions like yeah. you know like like something yeah much more like that and and it was so experimental for me because I, I knew how difficult and dangerous that is realism if you try to describe something very very you know in detail it becomes very boring and there's, there's nothing there you know it's like it's like it was just spreading out so how far can you go before you lose you lose interest you lose meaning you know but I think it's that was a strange experience with that it's like going opening refrigerator seeing what's there shutting it that, that's a little story you know that's yeah. that can keep keep the interest and I, I don't know why but it's <laughs> I never suspected that I thought this book is unreadable but, no, really it's, it's, but unreadable. it's the opposite it's a it's completely addictive I mean that's the word people use most often sometimes almost resentfully I've heard people say oh god you've got to keep root you know as if they <laughs> as if they feel they've been sort of hooked to something unwillingly. Yeah, that's very interesting. It, it's, uh, I've just read um, War and Peace by Tolstoy yeah. for the second time, and it's, it's one of the, you know, the best novels ever. Uh, and I, I was completely absorbed in it. And it's got the storyline, all the stories. It's such a perfect novel, you know. Um, and it's a wonderful experience. And then I read Turgenev, uh, uh, a hunter's sketchbook, which is only with no narration and it's only sketches and he only you know write about a little bit about nature than people he meets 
and it feels so authentic. Mm -hmm. It's like you could see Russia, 1840, you know, like being there. You don't have that feeling in Tolstoy. Tolstoy is a lot more general thing going on. But that experience there is... is um, it's very strange, and it should be boring, but it isn't. You yeah. know? Well, that's again, it's, it's presence. It's it's kind of evoking presence that makes that's the thing. So but it, there is something I think for me. There's something slightly unset, not unsettling about it, but the simple fact that that um, all all the volumes are quite long books, and perhaps part of the feeling of being addicted is you don't know where you can stop. You don't know <laughs> where no you can stop. stop. Well, there are, very charitably, every few pages, but irregularly, you don't know when they're going to come. There are little white spaces. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, call me conventional, if I needed to stop, and you do need to stop sometimes, I mean, there's a bit where Carl Ove, where you're narrating, you say, um, oh, I had nothing to do, so I sat down and read the first volume of the Brothers Karamazov. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there are little, but, 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 but actually it is, it is difficult to, to, to know, and you're used to re reading novels, one is used to reading novels which say, you know, now you can you can go to sleep, you can switch the light off. This is, this is you know. So that, that sense of you did completely get that sense for the reader too of being in a flow which is undifferentiated somehow. Yeah, and then there is like a form, a novelistic form, that shape. It says something, it isn't neutral. It says something about you know, our view, view of life. Uh, and I wanted this book to be as close to life as possible and life is constantly moving, constantly changing. There's nothing that's, that is still, you know, but a form is standing completely yeah. still. So a, a novelistic form could be, you know, in touch with life a little while, and then life will continue and a form will be there, you know. So it's impossible to write, for instance, uh, Madame Bovary again in, in that form. You have to change, change it. And, and that I, I try to do in that book, kind of to not to, to use that that form because I wanted to get closer to something. Mm -hmm. But then again in, in, you know, in two years, then this will be a form and it will be dead as a dead <laughs> know, and can, life will, will continue. I can, I'm sure there are people hammering away in a sort of a sub-Nausgaard trying to do it even now. Um, I, you, I do, th I mean, perhaps I'm, I'm wrong about this, but I detect a slight difference between the first and the second books in the series in that um, much more in the first one, you even do what you've just described in, in, in paragraphs. You know, I used to sort of have with students a kind of, kind of quiz, you know, which, great no, which novelists write the longest paragraphs? You know, Henry James, George Eliot, Franz Kafka. And they would always think it was the novels, the longest novels, but no, you know, Kafka's paragraphs, little books and paragraphs going on and on and on and on. But Sometimes in, 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 in the first book, there are paragraphs which go on for three, four, five pages with not a break. So the reader is almost, you feel challenged. I mean, I'm, you, you know, you can't, you're going to have to read all of this. You can't go and have a cup of tea or go to the lavatory. You've got to read all of this. So that, that was that too, a conscious... You do it in the second book too, but less often, I think. That was a, 
No, it's not like I took a decision to have long paragraphs. It's um, it's much more. It's um, it's I've said it this ten times now, but it's intuition, it's rhythm, it's it's like, it's it's mo- movement, you know. And um, and again, when I was um, when I was a kid and went to school, and there was we were taught very in, in Norwegian then that short paragraphs was the best, yes. was effective, and that's that's the way you should write, you know. Uh, all, all of those writings were, you know, bureaucracy writing or, or whatever. Uh, and Norwegian is a very sparse language compared to English, for instance. It's very much based on short sentences, few words, you know. And then in '95, Marcel Proust was translated to Norwegian for for the first time, and it is a, a translation that's true to the French very much. Uh, and it was a, such an eye-opener for me because it changed somehow the Norwegian language, the possibilities. And there's so many long sentences, you know, <laughs> and you have that, that movement. And, and when I saw that, I didn't know of it. I read Proust. I couldn't write. I hadn't been able to write for five years. I read Proust. Two years later, my, my first novel came out. And I had no idea that there was a connection, you know. When I see it now, it's, it is, you know, I've just taken it and, and used it to my own purposes. Uh-huh. But that's, that's, um, and then since then I have, I don't think about writing at all in those terms. It is purely, it is like playing music or something. It is, I mean, the form and the movement and the way it is, it is intuition. And it's, um, yeah, it's simply, yeah, I can't. I can't explain it. No, I, I can imagine. I can imagine it's not premeditated, but that it's very powerfully part of the experience of reading. And there's a, there's a. I just remember one piece quite uh, relatively early in *A Man in Love*. There is a passage about your uncle Kjartan. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes, yes. Yes. And it is a digression in a way. He doesn't come back in that book, and he is a an unusual, interesting, eccentric character. And I can't remember, you may, might be able to remember, I can't remember how he comes in, why he gets mentioned. But once he's mentioned, he needs his space. It, that's what it feels like. Yeah. And he gets a six-page paragraph. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I think of that as Uncle Kiartan's paragraph, you know. <laughs> and it would almost, um, I'm sure you didn't think of it like this, but very, you know, it feels like if you had a paragraph break that would not be true to that he has his his <laughs> column of prose yeah. uh, I've never thought of it like that but it's true um, for me a novel is um, is a way of you know building a room or building a place where it's possible to say the simplest of truth you know but you say it if you just say it it's banal and it doesn't mean anything so you have to create a room for it to be said and to be true and to be meaningful so there is that's 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 one of the major thing with a novel too is that you ha- it is it is a room where it's possible to say something mm-hmm. uh, uh, basically very simple things and when you introduce a character he needs room he needs space you know and and that and that was the same with my father's death it needed space it needed 100 pages with you know, being 16 first, and then that was possible. And when I was writing it, I, I, I the book two is called A Man in Love. Um, in no way it's only called My, you know, My Struggle Two. It has right. no title. No title. But it is, but it is a book about love. 
but when I, I delivered to my editor, the love story wasn't in it. It was only kind of the dark side <laughs> of, 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 the, um, of, of, of marriage and of, you know, relationship and there was no light in it. And I realized that that isn't fair, that isn't right. I need, you know, I need light. I need a love story. And then I had two days, that was two days before for the deadline. So I, I, I thought, is it, this is, this is, uh, so I sat down and I wrote for 24 hours nonstop, 50 pages, uh, which goes straightly into the book. And the whole point with us is if you write very, very quickly and do it for, you know, hour after hour after hour, if you write, do that and you write about love and light and it's kind of everything changed into some ecstatic thing, you know, it's like it's, it's taking over. And it's very simple and very banal, but it still has this, this energy. Uh, and, that's, and then the book was finished, then it was done. And that wasn't rewritten at all, that was just... Yeah, yeah. That just went in. Yeah, and it's the same thing it is, you know. The book lacks something, you put it in, and, and it is. But you, you don't... It's, it's, not, it's impossible to construct, that's, that's my point. And, and um, the ecstasy, I only could caught that in, in such a uh, situation where, where it is, I can't avoid it, I have to write it yes. exactly as it is, I don't have time to do anything else, I have just to do this, you know, so that's, uh, that was a very intense experience and I know I could never write like that again, you know, it's impossible, it was exactly that situation mm. that demanded it and that's how these books are, are made. Mm. I mean, so, so you talk about, about that, the, the the ecstasy of love, and you've talked about the writing about your father's death in the in in the first book. Um, of course, I mean the, the extraordinary thing is, I mean everybody remembers and is and is gripped by those passages. But also, when you listen, when I I don't know you, if you listen, you perhaps don't like to listen about people talking about your book so much. But uh, when I listen, what what I hear often people saying is things like. Oh, the children's party. Yeah. Oh, the children's party. My <laughs> God. I've been to a few of those, you know. Why? Why has nobody done that before? Changing the nappy. You know, I mean, it's not so long as the children's party is yeah. quite long. Yeah. I know, 40 pages or something. Oh, this is that long. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps the party seemed even longer than the, than the 40 pages at the yeah. time. But you, I, I mean, that is... Is it, was it completely instinctual to devote that much attention to, you know, not love and death, but a children's party? I had a feeling when I, when I you know, started to write these books um, that there was something unexplored <laughs> in that area, you know, like there was something Women have, have written about it, but I don't know any men who have written so so much about you know raising children and uh, all that, those things. Mm. So I thought this is yeah this is it has that that made it like like I was exploring something when I was writing. Like this is a new thing, you know. Even though it's so boring and so everybody knows about it, but still to make it into writing made it exciting somehow. It's completely me, gripping you know. the children's party to the reader too. 
Yeah, and I, I don't know why I wrote about that, because it was so terrible to be there. Yeah. Was, <laughs> That's it. it should be even more terrible <laughs> to, to write about it. There is, there is something there, you know, and especially my daughter, she's so visible there, and that's the, you know, yeah. heart, the touching thing for me was when I was carrying her away from there, and you have these shoes and all, and yeah, she was right. so, you know, and that was the moment I wanted to get to, you know, yeah. and I had to go through that party and so to represent that emotion of you know instant love i wanted to take care of you and you know let's get out of here and let's you know that that feeling and and then i had to go through those terrible terrible things and then there is of course a kind of mocking <laughs> mocking of sweden in it too which is fun for me yeah to come from Norway. <laughs> there is a bit difference i mean i mean where they have the uh, the uh, vegetable and dips and that was, that was it, you know, no sugar yes. and a children party. That's those kind of things. So the, the, the foreignness of the situation is quite an important thing in a man in love as well, isn't it? The fact that of being in Sweden. Yeah. And yeah, that is that is very important. And it's like I, I came from nowhere and I went to Sweden and I didn't know anyone. I, I started completely, you know, blank. And that's a very good starting point for novel too yeah so every, everybody i meet i meet for the first time and you're building up a life slowly and, and you can see everything very clearly because you know there is everything is for the first time and there is also very interesting it's a kind of a mini miniature exile you know slightly slightly yeah. little exile uh i could there was something going on around me i didn't know what it was but i could feel it it felt I could feel, you know, it felt bad, uh, but I didn't know, I have to try to identify what I'm doing wrong, you know, that's a cultural thing and that's common for, you know, everybody. And it's so interesting in Norway, Sweden, because the, it's, it's so little, the, the, the differences between the countries. Um, and that is also kind of fueling that novel, try to, to understand and to, to see cultural differences because so much of my identity I discovered is being a Norwegian, not like a nationalist, but just yeah. that's the culture you have, that's the thing you have inside of you, and then you're confronted with something different, other values, you know, and you can see the values. Oh, this is a value, you know, that's what it is. And it is, you can change it. I thought this is how things are, but it isn't. It could also be different. So I discovered this very late in life, but I, <laughs> I was like 33 when I was there. <laughs> yeah. And that, that, I mean, thinking about those experiences that, that you've turned into narrative, like the children's party or, or whatever, um, there is a sense, you say you're surprised that, that, that it's enjoyable to read and interesting to read. Um, but there is. And, and even though sometimes there's the sense that you're almost making the reader experience it as uh, the, the amount of detail you give, yeah. it's as if we're going through it. I mean, there's a famous, I guess there's a famous example of that. Um, the children's party is funny as well, but there's a famous not funny example of that in the first book, which is when uh, you have to clean up the house yeah. that your father, your grandmother's house, yeah. isn't it, that your father's been in. And you go into minute detail um, about cleaning the, the, the bathroom, the lavatories, and, and, and more than one person, has a reviewer that I read, said, it's like you are there, you're on your knees too, and you'll do exactly what kinds of 
unguent you use and the color of the stains and how long you have to scrub for. And yeah. it, it, it's as if we're going through it too. Yeah, that was, you know, that's the best thing you can say because that's what I wanted the book to be, you know. That was why it was so difficult for me to write about death because I couldn't represent my experience. I had to find a way to represent it so that it can make a presence, so you could feel it, you know, so you could have the feeling of being there. And I think I, when I started to write, I was 18, and I, you know, I was completely ignorant. I didn't know anything. And I started at a writing course. And I remember I had. I read Milan Kundera and Knut Thompson at the same time. Knut Thompson with Hunger. I don't know if you're familiar with it or have read it. I haven't read it. It is. It is. It is. It's just all about being there. It's all about presence. It's one person and his and his hunger and try to get food and it. It's that's that's it. The only narrative drive in it is hunger. I need to get oh. something to eat. And it's you know down on the street. It's very physical. And then at the same time, I read Milan Kundera, his uh, his novels. And it's kind of much more postmodern, elegant. Yeah. He comments on the on the on the on his characters, move them a little bit, you know. And I thought then I don't want to do that. I want the presence. I want you know that kind of novel that makes you feel that you are there. And I didn't think, you know, how to do it, but it has just been there ever since. That's what I want, you know. And all my writing has kind of tried to get to those places. And and. I mean, one thing I, we, I must give everybody here a chance to ask questions in a second, but but I can't get through go through my bit of the event without asking you. Well, it's to do. It's it's it comes from examples like that of Uncle Kiatan, which is um, what you do with real people in yeah. in, in in the novels, um, and in this one, a man in love. Um, I mean, I've read somewhere, I don't know if it's true, that, that Linda read the manuscript before you published yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, of course she did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and she thought it was, she didn't want you to change anything or... Yeah, it was one thing. She, I have written that she whipped horses or, or donkeys <laughs> uh, at the opening of the book, which she said, I didn't. Was, where did you take that from? That's the only thing she wanted to take out. <laughs> She didn't. <laughs> no donkey whipping. No. <laughs> the rest, she said, it was fine. Fine. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the thing is that she, she's, uh, she's a novelist herself. Right. She's a writer herself. And um, I told her that I'm writing this book, and she said, uh, then you have to go all the way. Please don't make me a bore, was what she said. Because you know if you hold back and, and make restrictions, yeah. the life disappears. Yeah. You know? So you have to go all the way. But when she read it, she was... Uh, I mean, well, you have made her fascinating. You've made her really <laughs> fascinating and bewitching. You haven't made her... But, but I wonder, I wonder if, if, you, if, you, you know, if, your, if your partner hadn't been a writer, if they would have been so fearless about allowing that. I mean, it's a... I think that was very, very hard. But it, it wasn't as much as other people should read it and, and, and see it. It was much more that I real thing in the book that we haven't discussed. That was kind of new to us. Yeah. And in a relationship, it's based upon, you know, there are certain things you can say and certain things you don't say, and you know of them, but it's not there. And I wrote it and put it all there, and that, that was very hard to, you know, to deal with and, and to... Then... I think her answer to this is that she felt that the language kind of 
care of her. Mm. And she said, if this had been a bad novel, it would be terrible, terrible. <laughs> but she think, she think it is good, you know. So, yeah, um, it wasn't fun to write about. Um, well, and what about, I mean, what about other people? Because um, presumably every character in the novel, including the Russian, the terrifying yeah. Russian, yeah. Is a, is a real person. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Did you change names of people? Yeah, I changed. Um, <laughs> I changed my family's name. I, I don't mention. I, I, they have different uh, first names, yeah. and I changed where they live and so on. Right. Um, but you know, I there's only one family in Norway called Knausko. So yeah. that <laughs> was completely useless. Yeah. But we did it for no legal reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there are some some other people that are maybe three or four that change names, right? right? But the rest is authentic, but, and yeah. it is, it's it's them. And and and, but but you didn't ask anybody else what what they thought about being. I sent my manuscript out to everybody. Oh, did you? Yeah, oh. before. Yeah, I had to do that, and that's one of the rules in the book for me is, is that I had to be able to watch that person in the eye afterwards. Right. And I had to do that. But Even that's quite a lot of people, isn't it? Yeah, no, not the one I just mentioned, but all the major okay. characters, you know, like uh, like my family and like Linda and, and uh, like my friends. The friends, yeah. Uh, yeah, so they read it all. And, uh, and some of them, then they could take out things if they liked. Nobody did. Nobody did? Yeah, but they did some things, you know, there was one person... Uh, attempt suicide and the family didn't know so then I took that up. Okay. Those kind of things are not in the book. But the rest is... Uh, so your... and your mother-in-law you sent... you sent... Her. That's... Um, yeah, I did and, and um, I sent it uh, to the wrong address <laughs> <laughs> and, and there was a deadline here, you know, and right. then I sent a new one so she had like two days to read it and she's old and, and she said, she said, I trust you, it's okay, I don't have to read it. Uh, and I said, okay, that's good, and I was relieved, you know. Huh. And because she is kind of the, the person who gets the toughest treatment in, she does. in, in the book. Yeah. Um, and then the book came out, that was, that was okay, and, but then the book came in Swedish. Then a friend started to read it, and she read it, and she was very, very angry. And... I was writing, you know, uh, the other books, and we needed someone to take care of the children, to help, and, <laughs> and, and, and she, she was there, and I was writing, and she was there, and she was angry, and I tried to, you know, try to avoid talking about this, <laughs> and it was, it was, but, but she's too, she, she's too, was very generous, and, and she allowed it, she, it's okay, but I'm, I'm angry at you, you know. And she doesn't want, you know, the grandchildren to read about, you know, the alcoholic things and all that stuff. Yeah. But she's, everybody in the book that have written about is getting used to it and it's, it's, it's okay. And it's, yeah, it's, it's not dangerous, I, I hope uh, and I think. But when the book was published, I couldn't know. That was a dangerous yeah. thing, I mean, if people had breakdowns so or if they, you know, would kill themselves or whatever because of what's what's there. I mean, you, you couldn't tell. So it felt very, very risky and, and, and dangerous doing this. And I was, you know, constantly afraid, full of fear, uh, non-stop every day. And everybody was angry and was so, you know, and then I was writing the other books. I was like, it was like, it was very intense, I have to say. 
But they, people, almost everybody has been extremely generous uh -huh. with allowing me. And now I have a friend who is writing about me, and I, I know how. <laughs> oh, I can't say anything about it, you know, but I know how unpleasant it is. And it isn't just that you are, uh, you know, saying something that you don't want anybody to hear. It's like they're taking something from you, yeah. make it into, I, I take something from you and use it to my own purpose, you know. And you are, you are just taking something away from and that's it and that's uh, that's not a good thing but all novelists do i mean yes. all novelists do this but it, it's uh, incredible maybe it's maybe the the sort of the intensity with which and openness with which you do it somehow makes it easier for, for other people because in in the there are so many cases you know in in the history of novels and novelists where people have been very, very upset about yeah. being used or appearing. Yeah. But almost always they have appeared in a supposedly hidden yeah. form. Yeah. And maybe if you're not in a hidden form, it's, 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 it's less difficult. Yeah, maybe. And I think uh, my experience with this is, is the worst thing is to be reduced. Reduction is yes. the worst thing, you know. That was what my mother said. It's so hard to be reduced, you know, to this little thing. Yes. Uh, so the, the rule is, the more you write about someone, the bigger place they take, then better. Even if it's, you know, um, bad things going on. If, if it's a lot, it's, it's, uh, it's much easier to, to relate to somehow. Wow. So, um, yeah, my mother wasn't happy with that. And, um, yeah. Well, it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's extraordinary. But um, I think I want to give everybody here, or some of the people here, a chance yeah. to ask questions. Yeah. So um, I think we've got some roving microphones. We've got some hands up. I'm quite dazzled. So I hope the people with the microphones will help me yeah. identify. Um, I've, I've read your all four books. Just I've gorged on them in the last four weeks. So I feel I know you ridiculously. Um, but you just talked about your mother, and it's your mother I would love to hear more about. Um, what do you talk to your mother about now? Because your mother is almost the most shadowy figure in the book, I felt. What do you talk to your mother about? And as a separate question, what music do you listen to now? Because I really liked your musical taste <laughs> all the way through. So what do you listen so to you, now? So you ask about what I'm talking to your mother about? To your mother? Yeah, and what uh, do you listen to musically? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and if you They're can connect those questions. two, yeah. even better. Yeah, but it, but it is interesting because uh, I found it so hard to write about my mother. Um, it was so difficult. It was so difficult to hear her, to find her voice, and to, to make her present, you know. Uh, and, I was, and, and she has, has uh, quite a small role in the book comparing to my father and, and the others. And uh, one thing is that she's still alive, but the, the, the most important thing, I, I think, she is. Uh, she was giving me things, you know. She wasn't taking away anything. And it's very hard to see the people who gave you something and to know what they are giving. Uh, um, so I had really problems with... I couldn't really even remember what she was doing when I was growing up, you know. I just know that she was, she was there and she was good, but I, had no, I couldn't recollect anything really. Uh, but I have been talking with her throughout my life, 
also when I was writing this book, so she said, you have to stop thinking of your children. You could call me mom, you must stop now. It's enough, it's good enough, stop, you know. And, and she wasn't concerned about herself. She was concerned about me and my children. Uh, and I still talk with her, you know. Uh, and I don't really know what we're talking about, you know. It's, you know, all kind of things. Uh, um, music. Um, you, you ask what I'm listening to? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, uh, I get up at four every morning and I put on one record and then another record and it's the same records that have been for a year and I don't know why they're not specifically like I want to recommend them but that's what I'm listening to. So the first is War on Drugs, the latest album and the second one is a band called The Lines, a kind of country American-ish band and then I like you know, Midlake, Iron and Wine. So. It's very calm music these days, like calm and simple music. It's funny, the lady says she likes your musical taste. The thing I remember is you're saying, and I put on some Coldplay as I was driving. I hate Coldplay, yeah. but it's brilliant for driving. Yeah. <laughs> uh, could I ask you about the very provocative title, um, My yes. Struggle, Mein Kampf? Yeah. As a German historian, I had real difficulty starting books, which I loved. Was this the publisher who asked you to use this title? Or no, no. Was it, it was yours? And, it was, and why? No. And were you aware? Did you want to provoke people with um, this title? Yeah, it had an, another title in the beginning, kind of a working title, uh, which was Argentina, Argentina which doesn't say, says anything. And I was, I was talking with, with my friend and we were discussing Adolf Hitler and Mein Kampf. And I mentioned the word Mein Kampf and he said, there's your title. And I knew instantly that he was right because um, this, this is a perfect description of the book. It is my struggle. It is a struggle. Uh, uh, and it is a very small struggle. It's a struggle, everyday life struggle. And I love the title because it's such an ironic title because when you know of the, the other my struggle, you know, which is the big struggle, which is completely different. Um, being an intuitive writer, I knew the only thing I knew when I called the book My Struggle was that I had to read uh, Hitler's My Struggle since I chose the title. And yes, it was a provocation too. It was a way of saying, you know, Fuck you, I, I don't care about you, I just do it, this anyway, you know, it's, that's also in the title. But then I had to read uh, Mein Kampf. Have you read Mein Kampf by Hitler? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, I, yeah, I, um, I did read it and I realized I have to write about it and I thought I should just, you know, write, write a little, little bit about it. And then I ended up writing 400 pages about Hitler's way to writing My Struggle. So the thing is, who was the man who wrote My Struggle? And it's the only place in the book where I don't write about myself. And it's kind of, uh, I just ended up there by choosing that title intuitively in the beginning and it makes complete sense in the book somehow. Um, and um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, Hitler starts the book writing about his father and his mother and it's a representation of his self. It's a, it's a, that's, you know, terribly interesting. And he hadn't done anything. He was, he was not very old when he wrote it. So that was, that was why I picked the title and that was what happened with the title. 
okay, up, up in the balcony. Hello. Hi. I guess what struck me about the book is that there's a kind of incongruity about the self-conscious kind of now scarred at the children's party that you kind of described earlier and then the person that's so kind of hugely revealing about who they are. And I just wondered, since you'd written it, if you'd ever regretted what you'd done. It's kind of that self-consciousness versus like the incredible openness of what you've done. And, and if you'd sort of think, thought, God, I wish I hadn't done that. Yeah. It was, it was difficult in the beginning. It was like a, a threshold I had to, to cross and it was hard, but it became easier and easier during the writing. And, and I don't care about myself in this. I mean, that's, I can't do that. I have read to write novels and they are existing in the world, you know. Uh, I, I can't think of, of me. I have to think about the novel. Is it a good novel? Is it a bad novel? I want it to be a good novel. And if it takes that to tell everything, you know, most embarrassing thing, then I'll put it in the book because I don't, I don't care that much for myself. I care much more for writing novels, to be, to be honest. So if I could cut off my left arm, I would have done it if it, it ended up in a novel. So it, I don't regret anything about what I've been writing about myself. I do have some regrets of what I've been writing about others. Uh, I do have, yeah. Um, yes. yes, please. Um, I found your uh, uh, novels uh, very hard. <laughs> uh, and I found your first one uh, because of the timing of it. So although it was addictive um, to some, I found I, I read it over a very long period of time because my father was uh, dying. And he'd come to stay with me. And I had this death in the family. He actually picked it up and dropped it on the floor. <laughs> he was so shocked by the title. And I remember reading the beginning chapter and the beginning part. And the way it goes very sensorially into the, you know, the deaths in the street. And, you know, if everyone was later. And I thought, shit, I can't read this. I, this is too intense. And then later on when he did die, I took it with me. You know, it's like a, an open wound. I just had to keep going back there. Um, and then I, and then it, uh, you made me laugh, and I, you know, 45 pages, you know, a few pages in, I start to um, really get engrossed. But I was traveling with you, and it took me a year before I sort of finished it. And books that have done that to me before Nabokov and Proust, or people that make you cry at that moment of kind of release. I just, from that point, I wanted to ask you, you know, uh, this intoxication, this state you have to get into to to write. Um, and your father is a catalyst as that moment when you looked for a truth, this rawness, this honesty. I mean, that's where you can write about anything. Like you said, when it's, when it's truthful, it's, it's vibrant, it's alive. And with, with, uh, with grief, there is that rawness, you know, that rudeness you almost have with people who speak trivia. Um, and do you always find that place? It sounds like you need to dig up every time, not necessarily bones of, of the past in that way, with love or with anything, this brutality, this sense of going into the wound to, to express, and from there everything comes. Is that how you find it as an experience? Because I certainly did. Um, yes, I think... I think I... I have, when my first novel came out, it took me five years until the next novel, and then f five years again. And in that time, when I tried to write, it was those places I was looking for, you know, a place which is about life and death. Somehow, it hasn't been to need to be directly so, but somehow that, it, that is 
is what I'm looking for. And it's very hard to find, I think, because I don't want to publish anything that is, you know, fake for me or that it is just, you know, something I, um, I construct. I don't, want, I don't want to do that. And when I was writing uh, in my 20s, that was, I didn't have any, it didn't come from the inside. It was like I was constructing something on the outside and it could be good and, you know, but it didn't really matter to me and it has to, you know, it has to do that. So now I'm at the same place, you know, I'm writing, but I, no, it's, it isn't, it isn't burning. It has to be burning, you know, and it's, uh, it makes my life maybe unnecessarily hard, but then it's why bother if it's not very, very, very important. I mean, yeah. Oh, hi. Um, I was quite interested in the idea of shame, and um, I remember reading once that you said that writing is a way of getting rid of shame. And I'm yeah. quite interested in the idea of shame, and in the relationship with your father, there's, it, it seems there's a lot of shame in that relationship and kind of humiliation, or that's the way I read it. But could you talk a bit about the idea of shame and, and writing and whether you still have a lot of that inside you? Uh, yeah, that shame is basically a good thing. I mean, it's a way you'd be regulated to be, you know, in a social context, which is good. So you behave and you do what you should in a social context. Uh, but then you could have, you know, overloads of it, which I had. I was ashamed of really nothing. Um, my father made me ashamed of things, for instance, and kind of br broke my self-confidence completely. So when I wrote my first book, uh, I just wrote a novel, and then my editor said on the back of the book, you know, this is a monument of male shame. <laughs> and I didn't know that I'd been writing about shame. I wrote about, about myself. Uh, but I think it's a very interesting thing, because I'm interested in the relationship between the self, you know, between I and, and other people. That's what the book is about. And shame is a way of having the other inside of yourself, you know. And if you write, and if you have the other inside of yourself, you can't really write, you, can't, you are not free, you know? So for me, it's, it's, it's very important to get rid of the other, to get rid of shame, to kind of have a zone of literary freedom where I can write whatever I want to, which I do. But the moment I get out of that zone, which is, you know, at four o'clock in, in the afternoon, I, it starts to fill me with, with shame. Thing I've been writing. It still does, does for, you know, 20 years. And when my first book, uh, I was writing that, I sent 60 pages to my editor. It was the first 60 pages. And I was so ashamed by especially two things. I, I thought this is the most stupid things that, you know. And he was, that's typical, he was saying, yeah, this is okay, but that was good, you know. That was good. That was really good. That's the thing I was ashamed of. That was because I was free and could allow me to do things. And the whole My Struggle project is about that. There's so many stupid things in there. There's so much banality. There's so much of those things that makes me very shameful. But that's also a very important part of it, you know. It makes it somehow alive because it's uncontrolled, because it's true. You know, it's not restricted, it's true. Up, up in the, in the gods. Um, John, I think earlier you had said uh, there's something sort of post postmodern about this writing, and I, I, I really touched um, something that I felt I recognized in reading these books, and something about the addictive quality about it. And 
One, one of the, the questions I think I'd like to ask or the, what I'd like you to comment on is the sense that I had that there's something extraordinarily contemporary about the way the book um, takes you into stories and the stories that subsequently I find myself recognizing in everyday life and that, in a sense, that presence, the, the super uh, importance, the meaning that is always there. And I wondered if you might be able to comment on whether or not you um, have recognized that, because I think it's something that resonates uh, for all of us in the way that we are interacting with our own stories now. More and more, I think I, I'm hearing examples of that, rather than a storyteller telling the story. In a sense, more and more of us are telling our own stories or recognizing that they're, they're part of our life. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I, uh, how to... To reply to that, that that maybe experience is something that people, more and more people, think of in terms of stories. You know, yeah. not I'm having experience, but oh, that my experience is this kind of story or that kind of story yeah. or this particular part of it is. Yeah. Maybe too many people with university degrees having their experiences. <laughs> yeah, but I, yeah, but I. I try to basically to do the opposite. I don't know if I understand it's right, but not to tell stories. But I, f I feel the problem with uh, with the way we we talk about the world and, and the way we see the world is through stories, is through news stories, which always is the same. So it's like everything is identical. You know, it's it's like there is those forms that that repeats itself over and over and over again. And my book is try and try is the op opposite of that. You know, it's the opposite of a media language. It's the opposite of many stories. It's, it's, that's, that's what I try, try to do, not tell stories. Mm. Sorry, yes. Thank you. Hi. Um, I'm over here. Uh, in a strange way, because you've been so open with the world about your experiences, I feel compelled to ask you a question that I wouldn't dare ask people close to me in my life. Um, <laughs> and the question is about parenthood. Um, I think through writing and recalling your memories, you've reflected a lot on the way you were parented, particularly by your father. And I wondered whether your books have in some way had an active role in informing how you've parented your four children. Yeah. I think, um, <laughs> yeah, but I think by writing about something, you, you can identify something and you can see it. Uh, and I don't see normally anything in... In, in my life, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm completely blind, but I can see it when I write about it. And yes, I think that's, that's, yes, I think that was very important for me. You know, I first love writing about having children, what you do and, and why you do it. And, and it's a, that's also why it's a lot of that in the book, because I felt that so much of what I was doing with my children was instinctively, you know, and it was like I was sometimes repeating my father Sometimes I was full of rage uh, and, and doing all those kind of things, uh, which I didn't understand. But it was very strong in me, you know. So, um, so I think it, it helped me see that, and, and, and have, at least I've been trying to change that. Um, but that's, you know, that's the way I, I read books. And that's why I'm reading, it's to see things. Uh, that's why I'm writing this to see things and to understand things. Um, 
Yeah. Yes, please. Yeah, wonderful to be here. Wonderful to be able to ask your question. So um, here's a group of Finnish fans, and um, I have a question about titles because your books have only numbers in Finnish, and as I have understood, they have numbers like my struggle number one, two, three, and so on. And I was shocked when I entered this room and there was these English uh, books and they have titles. So this A Man in Love is my struggle too. So, uh, I, I mean, when you wrote the books, they did not have titles in Norwegian language. And now the titles have been created. Uh, is it just commercial purposes or um, have you, uh, what do you think about these titles? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, I think that has to do with the tradition in the country. I mean, I mean, what's possible and what you can do and cannot do. In, in Scandinavia, it was all mastery one, two, three, four, five, six. Um, in Germany, was the first to, who, who uh, you know, contacted me and asked if it was okay to have titles. And they they did it partly because they couldn't call them uh, Mein Kampf. That would be completely impossible. <laughs> so there was a, was a there was a topic with, with titles there. Uh, and then, yeah, and then um, I'm very happy for the titles in uh, in English because I think they are so good and, 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 and makes it into... I thought of the books as very different books, separate books when I wrote them. It should be very different in tone and, and I think the titles, I know, are reflecting that. So did you, were they... Did you invent them or did you discuss them with your publisher? I get a proposition and, and, and I, I think I said it's very good every time so <laughs> I like them yeah, I do. yeah yeah it's the kind of thing publishers are good at I don't see why that's you know problematic I yeah but I don't think I wish I could write a book and call it a man in love no that's that's how it is yeah <laughs> please man uh, yes uh, once again uh, Karol um, by the end of the sixth book uh, did you ever come uh, the death of your father? And uh, is there anything else that you want to say about him? Or was he really a, uh, the most important person in your life? And you're okay with that, or you still have more to to tell? If I come to terms with my my yes, father and my dad, father, father, yes. yeah. Do you have more to tell about him? Um, yeah, but I, I, yeah, I have. I think I have with my father. The books are about to try to understand him somehow, you know, and, and to identify myself with him. Uh, when I was starting to write this book, I was 40. That was the age he was leaving the family. Um, and then he died 14 years later. And he was very enigmatic to me. And when I was a kid, he was like almost inhuman. Yeah, he was the father. Uh, when I beginning of this project, starting to write about him, I understood, well, he has the same kind of feeling as I have. He must have had, you know. And I wanted to leave the family. I wanted to, you know, start to drink. And I, I could understand him from, from, you know, that point of view. And then I could start to write about him. And that's interesting because you say, you know, uh, to understand is to forgive. And, uh, yeah, it is like that. Not to any cost at all, but, but it is still like that. Then, when I published these books, I started to get letters from people who knew him, you know. 
and I saw him and knew him when he was 10, knew him as a colleague and told me stories I didn't know anything about, you know. There's one teacher, he was his colleague, said he was traumatized. This was some childhood trauma I had, he was talking about all the time. I didn't know of that, you know. And then I found his diaries and I read his diaries and I kind of, he's, he's so much more than in the book. Of course it's like that, but that's interesting, you know, in, in, in any way. But what I'm writing about here is my relationship to him, you know. He was much more than that. But I still have nightmares about him and the nightmare is he's still alive and he's read the books. <laughs> 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 We're going up upstairs first of all, and then and then, please. Uh, hi, and... hi there. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily directly related to books or somewhat is. Um, do you have any tips or piece of advice for someone uh, who will or is indeed falling in love with a Norwegian girl? <laughs> 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 this might be more to, towards your first book, but then again, a man in love could be more pertinent in that sense. So you're asking me for advice for a man who fell in love with a Norwegian girl? Just, I can't uh, like. <laughs> if you have any at all. Uh, sorry? If you have any tips or advice, yeah, that'd be much <laughs> No, I think you, by not being Norwegian, you, <laughs> you'll make it. <laughs> Please. Yeah, hello. Um, my... My own writing on a memoir has stalled for, for some time. And, um, and I just wondered, and the, the main reason it stalled is because I'm, I feel as I've been sort of, it's, it's just such a painful process of self-flagellation and, and, and excavating the mine of me that um, I was just choking on it. Um, a friend of mine, when I started writing it, said to me, it's the things, it's the things about yourself that, you, that, that burn your soul, that you're too ashamed to write about, even in your own diary at your own desk. That, that, th those are the things that people want to read when you're, when you're writing nonfiction, a memoir about your life. Uh, so with that said, I just, I just wondered if you experienced that, that kind of pain in, in your writing and if you ever got to a point where going back to fiction was just going to be a breath of fresh air and some kind of release from that prison. Uh, and if you did think about giving up, how did you get over that you, yourself? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was, that was constant, uh, uh, difficult and painful thing. Uh, not the childhood part, that was brilliant to write, but all the other, other parts. Mm -hmm. Um, that's if you if you know if you don't um, if you don't like yourself you want to get away from yourself you know and I I I, I always been doing that by reading and then I become a writer it was by writing you know I was was could get away from myself and to this project I said no don't use literature as an escape use literature as a way to confront it uh, and it was uh, it was. <laughs> Um, it was it was terrible, and I felt it like it, this is worthless, you know, because it's, I'm worthless, then this is worthless. So I needed help, and I got help. I had, you know, my editor. He read everything and said, you know, this is brilliant. Go on, this is brilliant. Go on. And I had a friend. I read to him every day. 
writing 5,000 pages <laughs> during two years is true. And he was, he was just encouraging me and said, this is important, do it, this is important. This is not really about you, it's important. So I needed, needed help to do it, and I could never have done it alone, you know. So that's, that's how it is. And, and yeah, fiction would be a relief to go out there, but I couldn't, but I, because that was the point, I shouldn't escape, you know. Um, and, but somehow, there is another element to this, and that is in writing, if you do it, there is an element of selflessness, there's an element of not being aware of yourself, and it could be, you know, very good just to write, even if it's about painful things about yourself. So it's not, it's not very simple, it's a kind of complex thing. But yes, it was, it was, um, it was uh, terrible. Uh, and a bit fun to write about some parts. <laughs> That's how it was. Lady, lady here. I'm going to lower the tone a little bit. Um, I read all four of your books that have been published so far, sort of in tandem with my sister, and we discuss them endlessly in great detail and very seriously about all the serious issues there. But we kept coming back to the fact that it doesn't do much for Norwegian cuisine, your, your, your books. And this is a very simple question. What on earth is brown cheese? Oh. <laughs> yeah. It you, you can't explain what it is. I mean, it wouldn't make sense, but you have to taste it. It's kind of a, it's a goat, it's a goat milk cheese, which is sweet and brown. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, you grew up with it. So that's, I, I, you know, when I come to Norway, I buy it and take it back to Sweden. My children hates it, but I, I am attached to it. And Norwegian cuisine, for me, food in this book is, is, is yeah, I've, uh, there's no... But I love to describe it anyway, you know? <laughs> it's a kind of a visual and, and thing. There is something there anyway, even if it, you know, I'm not interested in food in any way. I just want to, you know, get it over with. <laughs> You've got to go to Norway. I mean, I haven't read Hunger, but I've had brown cheese. And... <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're, you, you were recommended to me. I knew nothing about you when I read your first book. And... Um, I must admit I read it as a work of fiction, albeit uh, intimate fiction. Um, and given the, the amount of fiction that is inevitably uh, inevitable in one's recollection of one's life, does it concern you um, if somebody reads it as a total work of fiction and not as a, as a verite or a, a, as a recollection of your life? No, I mean, that's... Um that's how it's read, I guess, by everybody. I mean, a little bit outside of, of, of my little circle as a work of fiction. Anyway, I mean, there's no difference to read about a fictional self and a real self, you know, in terms of what's going on there. And, and there is an element that's more maybe authentic uh, or, or, or not so authentic, but still it is. I call these books in Norway novels. Uh, and that's, for me, this kind of a non-fictional novel. So, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's how I want it to be read. I mean, yeah. please. Um, there's a moment in A Man in Love where, I think it's A Man in Love, where your friend um, says to you that you told him or you confessed to him in the past that, that you had a relationship with a very young girl, I think it's when you're a teacher yeah. and she's a student 
and you, you're very thrown by it. You say, well, I never, I never said that. And it, it creates this kind of moment of doubt of why, why he thinks you told him that. Yeah. But you also um, introduce your own moment of doubt where you question, could I, could I have forgotten something like that? Yeah. And it's this very um, destabilizing moment in a novel, which is in a yeah. sequence of novels, which yeah. is a testimony to your recall, to yeah. your to the intricacies of your memory, where you you raise in your reader's mind this enormous doubt about the capacity of your memory, yeah. and also maybe you know the sort of morality of you as a narrator, if you can um, you not only forget, maybe mislead. Um, and I wondered why you did that, why you um, introduced this moment which casts so much doubt both on you as, I guess, an individual, if you're being, you know, in a kind of moral judgment way, but also just in your ability to remember things. Yeah. I, I just wonder, it's such a strange moment, and I just wondered if you could explain that a little bit. Yeah, it's a very good question. The first time I've got that question, um, <laughs> and, um, it's, it's because that's a very, very important part in the novel, uh, exactly at that point, and I think the only place where really something very important is at stake, and it is, you know, did it really happen, or do I, do I, do I can't I remember it, you know, all those kind of things, and that's, that's a way of saying, first of all, it really happened, that was why, why I was re writing it. it, it happened like that, he, he said this, and I couldn't understand it at all, and the second thing is that it, it says a lot of what this book is. It's, it's about memory and recalling, and you can't trust your memory, you know. It, it, what I wanted to, to write, I didn't any research when I started. I didn't just wanted to write what's inside my head, you know. Can you trust that? No, you can't. It changed, and, and I had a, a, a not very long time ago, the friend who I said was writing about me now, he wrote about an episode. It was a very crucial episode, it was, it was a very difficult thing. And I remember it completely opposite. <laughs> and in my version, I did, you know, something good. And in his version, I didn't. This is very oversimplifying it, but that was what it was. And I, I couldn't remember his version. No, it didn't happen that way, but I'm sure it did. And I kind of changed it in myself to make it more uh, that I could accept it. I, okay, I could accept it, you know. And that's the thing in the novel in that in that uh, that part. And then there is uh, uh, another thing that um, I wrote. My first novel was about that: a teacher, 26 years old, have a sexual relationship to his student when she's 13. You know, and with this book, I wanted to give a kind of a backstage to the other novels, so you can see where where they they come from. You know, and, and I'm just and book four is a retelling of that story, but how it really was. But then, in book six, again, I'm, I'm going back there again, and did, was this really, really, really the truth? Can I really tell the truth? Is it possible to do it, you know? And, and, and um, I, I tried again. I tried four times to tell that story. Uh, um, I, I know what happened, and I'm absolutely sure, but still I want that insecurity to be there. Uh, there is several other occasions where I'm insecure, but that's... This is very subjective version of a life, and it's full of, of, you know, it's shaped into something which is me, but which isn't true in that sense. I'm afraid we're now going to have a last question, because although we could go on, we've got to let release Carlo Ve at some stage. So please, madam, you're bringing the curtain down. Uh, thank you. Um, 
You have wonderful translator, Don Bartlett. How sure can you be that he is conveying your words and your intentions accurately? Yeah, I'm very glad you asked that question yeah. because I, I don't read my translations. I trust my translators completely. Because you can't, I can't, I mean, a, mis a word mistake, that's not important. The only thing is that the flow is right and that the atmosphere in it is right and you can't correct that. Either you got it or you don't have it. And then I got book five in, in the mail two weeks ago and I thought I'll just check, you know, just read a little bit. And I did and I was sucked into it and I was, I was reading the half an hour, you know, like 30 pages uh, because it was like, Yes, it was just reading about myself when I was 20. It was like my own soul was there. And I could only do that because it was in English. There's a little distance, you know. And that distance is literature, so you can see it. But that was amazing because I was so, it was so much me, so much my world, and so much writing. But it was in English, you know. <laughs> that was strange. And that makes me absolutely sure that this is, this is you know, the best possible version of, of my book. It probably is. I mean, since there's so many people are much better than my book, but that I, that I can't. I don't well, it's that. a very, very reassuring note for future purchasers to end on. Um, we do have to end, I'm afraid. Thank you very much for your questions. Sorry to those of you who didn't get a chance. And I'm sure you'd all want me to thank him so much for coming and talking to us. Thank you. Thank you. For more great downloads, go to theguardian.com slash audio.